And if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 13, Acts 13, we um, left off last week by uh, discussing how Christ completed or fulfills the promises that God has made to David, how he is the fulfillment of the Davidic uh, covenant. And as we've been looking at this kingly office, and particularly the Davidic dynasty, a a kingdom and a king that is established by covenant, um, we left off there and we didn't have time to finish up the last four points I had on my notes, uh, seeing the blessings of the Davidic covenant. And so, um, Acts 13, we're going to be reading a, a pretty big section of this. This is a sermon uh, by Paul, uh, particularly. Barnabas was involved as well, but as they're at Antioch and Pisidia, um, Paul has the opportunity to share the gospel to a group of Jewish people. And what is remarkable is how important this Davidic promise, these Davidic covenant promises, are to what he says and the point that he makes that God uses marvelously to bring and, and, and to build within these people a yearning desire to know more of who Christ is. So Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue... And sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul, not wasting the clear opportunity that's given here in the synagogue, stood up and motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet, Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will." Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as He promised. Before His coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, 
nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second song, Psalm, you are my son today. I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, And it was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next day. Sabbath. Let's seek the Lord's face in prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, the spirits moving in Paul in this particular instance where he so clearly proclaims the hope of the good news in Christ to the promises that you've made to David. And Father, as we come before you and Lord, More than likely, we are not members of the household of Israel, but Father, we have been grafted in by faith in the King, in Christ who fulfills these promises. Lord, may we be challenged and encouraged by your word today. May we stand in awe of what you have done for us by making and fulfilling all your promises to David in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that all the promises that you have made find their yes, they find their amen in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, may we be challenged to love Christ more. May we be challenged, Father, to show thankfulness and gratitude for what Christ has done. And may we bow our knees to our King. 
May we live in full and complete submission to Him in all things. We pray all this in the name of Christ our Savior, pleading His blood. Amen. Well, again, to quickly review what we discussed the last time, we talked about how Christ fulfills the promises made to David. We saw how Jesus Himself is of the house and the lineage of David. Of course, that's taken straight from uh, the Christmas story where we see in Luke chapter 2, we, the angel comes to Mary and, and, or speaks of, Joseph going to, I'm sorry, speaks of Joseph going to Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David. We saw that there are promises made to David that God would be a father to his offspring and his, and his offspring would be like a son or would be a son to God. And of course, Jesus is the true, eternally loved son of God. We know that the, the offspring of David would have a throne established for all eternity, forever, and Christ's throne is established forever, ever. And we see that even as God promised to discipline God's people, and, and, and particularly David's offspring when they sin, of course, Christ not knowing sin, not committing any sin, yet He suffered the stripes and the rods of men on behalf of the sin, a sinful men, even though he himself committed no sin. Just as David was taken from tending the sheep to tending God's people, Christ is the chief shepherd of his people. And Christ's eternal reign on David's throne has already begun. We looked in Acts chapter 2 and how Peter in that message at Pentecost ties the resurrection of Christ and His ascension to the right hand of the Father with Him taking up the seat of David as He has made Him both Christ and Lord through His resurrection. And then we seek for a further full fulfillment one day when Christ comes back and sets up His millennial kingdom. Now, one implication of this last point that Christ is today ruling and reigning on the throne of David, but we look forward to that fuller expression in the millennial kingdom, is that as his people now, we are in the kingdom of God. We are his subjects, and Christ is our king. He is David's son, yet David's Lord. And so there are now blessings that we find in the Davidic covenant in Christ that are given to us as God's people. And so there are four things I'd like us to consider this evening about these blessings. And we have a number of different passages we're going to be looking at. Um, and again, this passage in Acts is sort of a, a summation of everything we're looking at. It's seeing how Christ provides true and complete hope as David's, as the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. So we're probably going to be a little bit shorter today. Uh, I know I've said that before, and it never seems to be shorter. But today, I think it will happen. I think it will happen. Um, so what is the first blessing that we see of the Davidic covenant in Christ? Well, the Davidic covenant established by Christ, and this is so important, it is not simply limited to Israel. It encompasses all peoples of the earth. This is a wonderful hope that we see in God's plan of salvation. And when he's making promises to David thousands of years ago, he is also saying that the blessing of Abraham that is meant to come on every family of the earth will find its fulfillment through David's 
offspring. We see this in a number of different passages, but particularly I want us to look at both prophecies of this, of this fulfillment and then further how they are fulfilled in Christ. And the first thing we see is Isaiah chapter 9. Now Isaiah chapter 9, if, if you, again, we see a lot of connections with the, with the birth of Christ. And Isaiah chapter 9 is we see the name given for Christ. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And then the final designation for the Messiah that's to come is the what of peace? Prince of peace. Well, what kind of kingdom does this prince have? In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, we see of the increase of his government and of that peace, there will be what? When will it end? Never. No end. And what is this kingdom? It is the throne of David and over this kingdom that he will establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we see clear connections with the Davidic covenant in what Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah, the one who will be a wonderful counselor, who will be the mighty God, who will be the everlasting Father, and who will be the Prince of Peace. This government that he creates, this kingdom that God forges through what Christ has done, has a continual increase. There will be no end to the increase of his government. Now, the idea here that is being uh, communicated, and particularly if you look at what Isaiah is discussing, the situations in his life or in his time, the state of Israel, as Israel has had to fight off different nations and and try to create a kingdom and because of their their uh, rebellion against god he disciplines them by bringing in other nations that take israel or the land at least away take them into captivity and so the concept here is as nations rise and fall inevitably the greatest of nations will come up and then they will eventually fall which just as a quick note here I love the country that we live in, but this country is not the kingdom of Christ. And we can find hope in the providence of God and the things that He's done to provide for us here, but ultimately our hope as believers is not in America, it's in Jesus Christ. And we need to recognize that reality because if our hope is placed in a kingdom of this world, does God ever promise that the kingdom of America, the government of America, will never cease to grow and increase? No, but he does say that about Christ's kingdom. And so as nations rise and fall, the kingdom that Christ brings will never fall. It will constantly be growing according to the zeal of the Lord of hosts. It's amazing how Isaiah points to that reality. He doesn't speak of the power of God, which of course we know is, is without uh, match, without, without, measure, without being measured. Uh, there's nothing that can stay the hand of God. His power is limitless. He doesn't speak of the sovereignty of God, which allows him to, within his authority to do whatever he pleases among the nations. But rather he speaks of the zeal of the Lord. And that zeal speaks to the heartfelt desires that God wants. That behind 
his power and its actions to bring about his promises and behind his sovereignty and the authority that he exerts to bring about his will on the earth, behind it all is the fact that he wants to make people a part of his kingdom. And so Christ's kingdom will continue to increase. Now, particularly in this day and age, the increase of the kingdom is not brought about through the sword. Now, there will be a day when Christ will come back and He will will rule the nations with a rod of iron. He will bring about conquest through military action, military action that He brings about as a sharp two-edged sword comes out of His mouth and He goes and, and defeats the armies of the nations that rise up against Him. But that Government continues to increase today, not by the sword, but through the proclamation of the gospel. As we share the hope of Christ, as Paul does here, we see the kingdom expanding. We see Christ growing His kingdom. And what this does for us as those who are charged as members of this kingdom to take the message of Christ is that we can be certain that God will save His people. His government will never and its increase. Well, how does that increase happen? How do we have particularly promises that Isaiah is making to Israel that there will be a kingdom that continues to grow even beyond Israel's borders? And the answer is God has made provision not simply to save the descendants of Abraham, but to save the descendants of Adam through Christ's kingdom. We see this in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. Amos prophesying of the coming kingdom of God and and the day of the Lord that will come and, and will set all things right. He says, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen. Remember how we read um, in Psalm 89 and there's this this, this relating of the promises that God has made to Israel and particularly the promises of the Davidic covenant. And then we come to the end of that passage and there's, there's a break. And um, we have this, this remark that God has cast off. He's turned aside from Israel. And the writer of the psalm likely living during the time of Solomon is beginning to see sin's effect and, and he begins to question, will God keep his promises to David? Well, fast forward to Amos, and things are a lot worse than they were in, in Solomon's time. Not only is there, is there sin and, and idolatry among Israel, but now the nations have taken over. Israel is in disrepute. And again, he says the, the, um, the booth of David is fallen. He speaks of it having ruins, being ruined, and laying in ruins. But he says that in that day, the promises that he made to David will come true. He will repair its breaches, he will raise up its ruin, and rebuild it as the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations... Not just Israel, but all the nations that are called by my name. That there is a plan for this Davidic kingdom that extends beyond the borders of Israel 
and that includes every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. We see it in Acts chapter 15. After this, I will return. For quoting from Amos, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles. Notice the connection here. Who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. It's interesting that this passage is quoted because it's quoted in the context of the Jerusalem Council. And the Jerusalem Council is, is wrestling with a, a teaching that had come up from a group called the Judaizers within the church. And they're saying, look, if you're going to become a part of the church and you're going to turn to Christ in faith and repent of your sins, that's great. And you know what? The first step of doing that is not baptism, but circumcision. And they're saying it's required. If you're going to be a part of the church, you need to be circumcised. And the apostles in denying that requirement, look back and they say, look, look at what God has said. The Gentiles are going to be a part of this. That it has always been God's plan to make of two, two peoples, Israel and the Gentiles, one great kingdom. And Christ is the king who brings that about. Of course, we see that fulfillment in the song of the saints in heaven in Revelation 5. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. I don't want to get off too much on a rabbit trail, but the scroll is the eternal plan of God. It is what He has planned to do to create His kingdom. Why is the Lamb standing as though it is slain, the only one who has the right to open the scroll? Because He was slain, and by His blood, He ransomed, for peop ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you, the Lamb standing as though it's His slain, have made them a what? A kingdom. And priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. You realize the, the import of what we see here is that we are able to be worshipers of God in Christ because of the promises made to David. That we, as those who have turned to Christ in faith and have been saved by His grace, we are beneficiaries of this kingdom. Christ is our King. We're in the kingdom today. This is the good news that is given to us. And it makes us as Gentiles... Hope in the promises made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and particularly to David. So the Davidic kingdom established by Christ encompasses all peoples of the earth. Secondly, the Davidic kingdom established by Christ provides forgiveness of sins through faith in Him. Look in our passage, particularly in verses 22 and 23 in verses 36 through 39. In 22 and 23 we see, And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, 
God has brought to Israel a what? A Savior. Jesus, as He promised. Remember we said that one of the things we're able to see in the fulfillment of Christ as the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant is, does God ever make a promise that He doesn't keep? Even though there's hundreds, thousands of years between His promise and its fulfillment, does God keep His promises? Yes. And so He had promised that David's offspring would be the one to bring, to bring about salvation to Israel. And He did that in Christ. We see further confirmation of this in verses 36 through 39. Notice what He says. And again, he's tying all of this, and, and time doesn't permit me, uh, even though I said we're going to be shorter, we're, we're not probably going to be shorter tonight, but time doesn't permit me to describe the, the importance of the resurrection of Jesus in all of this. But in verse 36, he draws on that and says, look, because Christ has never, his body hasn't seen corruption, because he was made the Son of God, declared to be the Son of God, as he was begotten from death, as he was raised from death, as the sure and holy blessings of David are given to him, confirmed by the resurrection, Paul then concludes in verse 36, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. And notice what he says. His body, um, he, his, he was, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So when the promise is made that you will not let your Holy One to see corruption, there's only one person in the history of history who fits that bill, Jesus Christ. So now what's the conclusion? What, is, what, is, what conclusion does Paul draw from this? Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus Christ, the one who was without sin, was placed on a tree, nailed to a tree, not for deeds he had done, but for our sins. Through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. What a wonderful hope. What is the gospel? It's Jesus. It's the proclamation of Christ. There is a reason why we talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the four what? Gospels. What are they about? Jesus. Man's greatest problem is not the environment into which he was born. It is not the failure of governmental policies to raise men up. It is not the socioeconomic climate in which they live. Man's greatest problem is not the psychological makeup or, or the mental difficulties that they face. And listen, these are all issues that I'm not trying to diminish in any way, but what is man's fundamental problem? It is sin. And there is no government on this earth, there is no king that has come, there is no president, there is no prime minister, there's no ruler among men who can ultimately take care of the greatest problem of mankind, and that is sin. But there is a king who can 
Jesus Christ. Through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone... What, look, at the, look at the call of the gospel. It's not limited. The call is not limited to just one group. It's given to who? Everyone. Everyone who believes is freed. Freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You see how Christ comes and is born under the law as David's offspring, as, as one who is a child of Abraham. He comes and submits himself perfectly to the law and then does what no man could do because he frees us from that which the law could never do. The law has a purpose. The law frees us in one sense to provide the freedom of the knowledge of our greatest problem, which is sin. But you know what the law doesn't do? It doesn't show us how to fix that problem. It makes it well known to us what our problem is, but it doesn't show us how to fix the problem. But the son of David, his offspring, does. And we who believe in him are freed from everything that the law can't do. But, and I don't have it on the screen, but keep reading. Paul speaks of such hope, but then he warns. Notice what he says in verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers. Be astounded and what? Perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And that work is not so much the message of the gospel as it is God's certain judgment on sin. But the message of the gospel is, yes, God will judge sin, but hope is found in King Jesus. So again, we saw... That wonderful hope that the Davidic kingdom established by Christ provides forgiveness of sins through faith in Him. Thirdly, the Davidic kingdom established by Christ provides hope beyond the grave. The fact that Jesus is King, the King promised to David, is actually an indication that we are no longer under the spiritual reign of darkness, which sees its greatest, um, greatest manifestation in death itself. Notice what is said in Acts chapter 2, verses 20 through 32. Or 30 through 32, I'm sorry. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, and that that setting of that descendant would be for how long? Forever. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, of the Christ. And so the point that Paul or Peter is making in Acts chapter 2 is, listen, David saw 
that his offspring would not die but would be resurrected. Why? Because God had made this promise that his offspring would sit on this throne forever. And Christ is that offspring. And yet he died, right? He died on the cross. So it was necessary then for him who died on the cross, if he is going to be the fulfillment of the promise to sit on the throne forever, what must he then do? Rise from the dead. And so he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we all are witnesses. Do you see that the promises made to David demand the resurrection of Jesus Christ? They demand his death, but they also demand his resurrection. And then that provides hope for us over death. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 26. He tells us that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. We have no hope in this world if Christ is not risen from the dead. And then he comes, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. And then we see Christ is what? The first fruits. He is the first one to provide and, and give us hope for all those who are in him. Then at his coming, those who belong to him. Then comes the end when Christ delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule, every authority and power. And then here's the wonderful hope. What is Jesus doing right now? He must what? Reign. Until his enemies until he's put all his enemies under his feet. And then here's the thing. The reign of Christ is a reign of conquering. It is a reign that he defeats all of his enemies. And what is the last enemy that is defeated? Death itself. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Do You see how the kingly role of Christ as the conquering hero, the conquering king, gives hope for us over death. The last enemy that Christ will conquer, is death itself. And we could fast forward to Revelation and see where death is cast into the lake of fire so that it is no longer a possibility for those who are in the kingdom of Christ eternally. So the Davidic kingdom established by Christ provides hope beyond the grave. Because Christ is the Davidic king, we no longer need to fear death. And then finally, remember we said that mankind's greatest problem is what? Sin. The wages of sin is death. When God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden and told them, listen, you can eat of all of, this, all of the fruits of the trees except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. Adam and Eve eat of that fruit. They, on that day, die spiritually. God is exceedingly merciful. Promises that the seed of a woman, the offspring of the woman that we see is revealed to come through Noah's line and then revealed to come through Abraham's line and now we've seen is revealed to come through David's line will come and will reverse the curse, will crush the head of the serpent. And as that promise is made, yet sin still has its consequence. And Adam and Eve are not permitted to remain in the garden, are they? They're driven from the garden. There's an angel with a flaming sword set at the entrance to the garden so that they can't return. And so God has created a perfect environment in Eden, and because of man's sin, that environment is now corrupted and unavailable to them. But then we see the promises made in Christ because He is David's Son. Because He is the King promised. The final thing we see is that the Vedic kingdom established by Christ restores the Edenic state for His people. We see this in Isaiah 55, 1-3. There, Isaiah cries out, Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. And that covenant is His steadfast and sure love for who? For David. When this passage began, it speaks of a time where there will be unlimited resources made available to God's people. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see the Garden of Eden Eden described as a place where there are rivers flowing full and free of sustenance for God's people, for Adam and Eve. And as the Bible begins with mankind in a garden, you know what it ends with? Mankind, guess where they are? In a garden. What is that garden like? Well, Jesus tells us, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of who? Of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say what? Come. Again, what did what did God say? He says, incline your ear and what? Come to me. And so the Spirit and the bride say, come. 
And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, what? Come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. The end of all things. Because Jesus is the descendant and the root of David, the bright and morning star. He establishes His kingdom eternally in a garden. A garden where God's people come to Him and are provided with that which satisfies. There will be no tears in heaven, no wanting for anything. God will provide all of those riches in Christ who is the fulfillment of the Davidic kingdom. Now, the question that Isaiah asks to the Israelites as he speaks of this fulfillment one day, says you can begin to experience that now. Come to Christ now. And then he asks them the question, why do you spend your money for that which cannot feed you? And that's the real challenge for us today. King Jesus is reigning in His kingdom. And we, by faith, are placed into that kingdom. The seed of David has begun the final acts of His reign. And one day He will come and set up that kingdom here on earth. But now that He is in heaven, and now that we are His subjects, and now that we uh, realize He is reigning over His kingdom, why do we buy and spend our money for that which cannot feed us? Why do we seek satisfaction outside of the knowledge of Jesus Christ? And so the challenge for us is we recognize and look forward to the glories of all these fulfillments in Christ is that today may we live as though Christ is our King. May we bow our knee to His Lordship and may we find in Him and in Him alone true satisfaction. So Christ is the fulfillment of these promises made to David. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we give thanks to you that all your promises find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that he is King of kings, Lord of lords, and he is the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Father, we thank you that through Christ's fulfillment of this Davidic, these Davidic promises, He makes a place for all nations. He provides forgiveness of sins. Lord, He creates wonderful hope for, his, for all those who turn to Him in faith. And we look forward to that day where we will be again in the kingdom. Father, may we live that reality now as your Spirit works within our hearts. 
May we find Christ to be the sure and sufficient hope for us. May He He alone satisfy us. May we drink of the waters of life freely now as we find in Him our only hope. Father, take Your Word, apply it to hearts and lives here today. We pray this all in Christ's name, pleading His blood. Amen. I, I made it three minutes early, so we'll take that. Thanks so much for joining us online. Thanks for joining us here in person. Have a great week.